Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Caged In Presents Coppola Connections, as ever brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, Petros Patsyllabus. So we've traded in the winter cold air of Toronto and we're going for some autumnal British countryside in this week's episode of Schwartzman Summer, which makes it the 49th episode in the Coppola Connection series. We're ever closer to episode 50. And yeah, as I said, we're approaching the British countryside to talk about the Wes Anderson stop motion animated adaptation of Roald Dahl's 1970 book, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Um, if you're new to this podcast, what we do here. So we watch every single Coppola family film to determine, are they the greatest film family of all time? Do I do that alone? No, I don't. Like Fantastic Mr. Fox, I have my very own Kylie for this episode in the form of Alec Glinston, uh, who you may know from a myriad of podcasts, but um, one that I'm a particular fan of is the Annapurnaverse, where him and his co-host Billy Melissa uh, discuss all the films of the film studio Annapurna and it's a great little listen there's a nice variety of different films and we get all into that into this conversation as well as talking all about Wes Anderson you can't talk about a Wes Anderson film without talking about Wes Anderson of course not uh, we talk all about stop motion animation and kind of the wonder that is this kind of um, amazing art form of filmmaking it's ancient and still so vibrant and fresh every time it's on screen and um yeah we can't talk we, we, we talk all about it. we talk about this amazing voice cast and of course we talk about jason schwartzman um one thing we do do is we spoil this film so if you've not seen it uh, you can watch it pretty readily i believe in here in the uk you can watch it both on amazon prime netflix and Disney Plus, so you are spoilt for choice where you can watch it. I'm sure uh, in the US it's probably on Hulu, Disney Plus. I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, it's it's owned by it's owned by Disney now, so uh, <laughs> I'm sure they've probably plopped it on one of those two streaming services for you guys. And elsewhere in the world, 
Probably Disney Plus, right? Yeah, it's going to be Disney Plus. It's going to be there. Um, so, yeah, spoiler warnings out of the way. Um, and all of the housekeeping out of the way. All that's left to do is to burrow underground, make your way to the flint mine, break into Boggis Bunts and Beans farms, steal all your reserves as we make some Coppola connections. Jason Schwartzman, here we come, right back where we started from. Jason Schwartzman. As we roll into week three of Schwartzman summer, we head to the idyllic countryside filled with neurotic animals and three evil farmers as we look at Wes Anderson's 2009 stop motion animation adaptation of Roald Dahl's 1970 book, Fantastic Mr. Fox. The film stars George Clooney, Meryl Streep, Wally Wolodarski, uh, Bill Murray, Eric Chase Anderson, and today's Coppola Connection, our furry, whack-back-loving summer boy, Jason Schwartzman, joining me to decide if the Coppola family are an award-winning prime geese of Hollywood that feed us with nutrients and goodness, or the boggest Bunsen bean of cinema, is film journalist and podcaster, with too many podcasts to mention, Alex Gilston. How are you, Alex? I am absolutely wonderful. Thank you for having me on. It feels like this has been so long in the making. Yeah, it feels like a stop stop motion animation, right? We've kind of we've, we've really fawned over. We've really like the, the 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 movements have been slow, but hopefully we'll be able to create a masterpiece in this podcast uh, episode. I think you're quite about right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, what is it? Uh, good things come to those who wait. So yeah, uh, let's. Uh, we're we're making bold claims up up front, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be good. I hope. <laughs> so tell us a bit. Yeah, obviously. Uh, I flippantly mentioned, like, you're on a lot of podcasts. What podcasts are you on? And what, what, why, why are you kind of spread, spread about? What, what is it about podcasting you love so much? Uh, well, I love the sound of my own voice. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just love talking about things that I'm passionate about, especially just films, anything in general like that. And I feel like podcasting is one of the most accessible ways to do it and i also um am a terrible person for getting an idea in my head and absolutely having to execute it as soon as possible <laughs> so what one of the podcasts i kind of uh, started listening to that you're on is the annapurnaverse so tell us a little bit about that podcast before we get into our chat today yeah so this is the uh the more of the um what's the word the the labour of love, I would say, out of the the, the podcast that I do. Uh, me and my co-host, uh, Billy Melissa, who is also um, brilliant. Well, I wouldn't say that I'm brilliant, but anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we essentially got to talking. Uh, well, Billy wanted to start doing a podcast, and I was like, hello, I'm here. <laughs> I can help you with that. Um, and we got to talking about different film studios and different filmographies in that kind of sense and we noticed that Annapurna's filmography is like this weirdly massively eclectic 
thing that's just i mean you've literally got everything from her to sausage party like it's just (laughs) so such a strange but interesting mix of of films um so that's how the annapurnaverse was born and you know we're um we're coming into what we're gonna call season three of the podcast um soon that's just our uh easy way of explaining why it's been so long since we did the last episode um <laughs> but yeah uh it, it's it's super 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 fun and um really interesting to talk about all the films that they've they've got under their belt nice yeah i think i think there is something about having like an end goal in podcasting as well like a kind of i don't know i guess with like annapurna there is a ch- chance you will catch up to their output like like yeah like what i'm doing with the coppola family it's a, probably a, yeah. a bit more of a mammoth task because yeah. i think i think i've i figured out if i release this weekly and don't get waylaid with any new nicholas cage films or anything i'll be doing this podcast for at least another three to four years i mean th- there's nothing better than having a, a good <laughs> long path laid out yes <laughs> because what me and billy because we've only got like 10 or so films left mm-hmm. and we're kind of thinking oh god what do we do now yeah 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 this is trying to find like a kind of a nice connective tissue right is is annapurna is is that like owned by anyone in particular i know like there's uh, certain you know what i mean like is it plan b is owned by uh brad pitt or something like something like that do you know what i mean like I, is, is there anyone i think <laughs> annapurna is the is the top thing i mean they they have like a few little sister things they they make video games and stuff but um yeah i feel like that's another thing where you just run out of run out of things really quickly yes of course, of course but then you know like i said with the, the the filmography being so eclectic there's every chance that you can branch out to like the directors and yes, the actors course. and all that kind of stuff there's there's ways to go yeah there's a whole yeah i guess there's a whole spike jones series in your in your wheelhouse if you want to do it do you know what i mean there's kind of what led him up to that point and beyond that point of working with annapurna for instance yes which exactly links perfectly to the coppola family because at one point spike jones was married to sophia coppola so was at that dinner table at christmas at one point so yeah Leads me on to my first question I always like to ask my guests, uh, Alex, which is, when did you become aware of the Coppola family? So what was your like entry point, whether it was uh, a certain member of the family, and when did you kind of realise there was this massive like, spider's web of a family that there is? So I, I didn't quite realise how expansive <laughs> it is. Um, but and interestingly enough, and ironically enough, I'm pretty sure... If I was to consciously think, it probably was Jason Schwartzman. Oh, nice. Um, which is obviously very good for today. Uh, and probably in something like the film that we're going to talk about, or maybe Scott Pilgrim, mm-hmm. potentially. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And, and what, like, were you, were you taken aback by Jason Schwartzman, like, when you saw him? What, 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 was there anything, a kind of lasting impression he had when you first saw him on screen? Yeah, I mean, his role in Scott Pilgrim is um, one of the all-timers. He's such a a wonderful uh, villain. I mean, he, he's got such a, a wonderful filmography, but uh, he's never really done anything quite like what he does in, in, Scott, in Scott Pilgrim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... It's definitely different. I think in that he goes 
all out villainous. There's other films where he has like shades of asshole about him. Even, yeah. Even something, even something like this or kind of like the stuff he's done with Wes Anderson, whether it's mm. Rushmore, like there is a case that like, yeah, he's kind of like this incelly little kid who's like, I want it my way. I want Jeremy. He's like almost like a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory style kid of like, he wants yeah. what he wants. Like, Yeah. Yep, definitely. But but yeah, um, I'll always, you know, when I think of Scott Pilgrim, mm-hmm. always think of Jason Schwartzman. Yes. Definitely. Yeah, yeah that, that, uh, Gideon Grays is a fantastic character. Um, so here's, here's a question for you. Have you, ever, have you ever met a Coppola? Have you ever been in, breathed the same air? Have you ever uh, you been to a Q&A, anything like that? Have you had, have you had the good fortune of meeting a Coppola family member? I can't say I have, unfortunately. No worries. There's always there's always time. There is yes, <laughs> there is. Uh, Jason Schwartzman, if you're listening to this, um, I live in Greater Manchester in the UK. Let's hook up sometime. Let's meet and have talk about Fantastic Mr. Fox specifically. I would uh, I, I would love to picture Jason Schwartzman in the Greater Manchester area. Like, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, where would where would be like the go to place you would take him as a Manchester uh, native? It, I mean, I just love the idea of me and Jason Schwartzman rocking up to a Greg's. Oh, yeah. Getting a sausage roll, a, a steak bake. Nice. Something like that. Nice. And then just shooting, shooting the words. E- eating them there. in pure, fantastic Mr. Fox style as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, fantastic. So um, you've already kind of answered the next question, which would have been, what would have been, yeah, the first uh, Jason Schwartzman film you would have seen. But what are like your kind of, apart from the film we're going to talk about, is there any other standout roles apart from Scott Pilgrim that like kind of stick in your mind of like, oh, Jason Schwartzman's doing some good old work in that? Well, I actually only watched Rushmore for the first time during lockdown. Uh Uh-huh. Um, and I won't lie, as much as the character is probably one of the most unlikable characters in a film <laughs> ever, <laughs> I I was kind of taken aback by how how good he was in that film, especially considering that it was his first uh-huh. yeah. his first role. Yeah, hmm. there's something about that, and I know like um, Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson had somebody like the look of the character was completely different like they had in their mind they had like a kind of i think they said like a young mick jagger but like they they searched and searched and searched like kind of internationally british kids american kids wherever and like there was something about jason schwartzman and the serendipity i think of wes anderson maybe being at a party i'm not sure if it was exactly wes anderson but being at a party at the coppola like uh family estate and like yeah. kind of meeting this precocious like 16 17 year old kid and being like <laughs> i think that's our max fisher like can you can you come and audition for us and it's like just perfect like uh, the, the, yeah that 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 worked out and uh, i don't know i guess i guess nepotism works out great sometimes <laughs> i mean it did it definitely worked out for both of them and i mean he's been in so many Wes anderson films like six or seven, maybe. Yeah, and even when he's not in, yeah, he kind of seems to have like an obligatory uh, cameo status now. Even if you look at something like um, 
the French Dispatch. It's like he's just they're like well, he's we, the illustrator, right? Yeah, and the, he gets yeah. like two lines. Do you know what I mean? And he kind of it's or or he seems even to just have story by credits on every Wes Anderson film. It's almost mm. like I don't know if they've got a deal. It's like if him and Roman Coppola are like Wes Anderson's go-to guys to chat about a story, and because they might have pitched in enough, he goes. I guess I'm gonna have to give you guys a story by credit again then, like <laughs> yeah. this by this point. <laughs> and I must also say, um, I will also take a little bit of cousin Ben from Moonrise King- Kingdom too. He's fantastic. I always, I, I frequently watch. The, there's a little like um, video that kind of accompanied it. I guess like part of the promotional material of him as cousin ben presenting a screening of moonrise kingdom to like the to the khaki scouts and like i always love that i always kind of whenever i'm going to watch that film i program that in first like i, I watch yeah. that first to kind of like, oh this is like a nice little intro for the film and uh, yeah that's that's always great yeah cousin ben fantastic and there's uh, that that fantastic sequence of them walking around the camp in kind of true Wes Anderson fashion is yep. one of the greatest scenes in that film. Um, amazing. Well, let's, yeah, let's not beat around the bushel too much and let's talk about Fantastic Mr. Fox. But before we do, let's listen to the trailer. And so it begins. Welcome to the fantastic world of Mr. Fox. Woo! Should we dance? His life is fantastic. Pure wild animal craziness. His wife is fantastic. If what I think is happening is happening, it better not be. His neighbors, not so fantastic. This is Bogus, Bunce, and Bean, three of the meanest, nastiest, ugliest farmers in his valley. What was that? They're digging us up. But they're about to discover. Oh, Foxy. Is help on the way? He's one fox. I've got an idea. You can't outfox. Mole, what do you got? I can see in the dark. We can use that rabbit. I'm fast. Badger. Demolitions expert. What? Since when? Here, put these bandit hats on. I don't have a bandit hat, but I modified this tube sock. We look good. Yeah. Only security is a old hunting beagle that laced some blueberries with sleeping powder. Beagles love blueberries. A titanium card. What's this thing you do, the whistle with the clicking sound? That's my trademark. We're different. We all are. Him especially. But there's something kind of fantastic about that, isn't there? I can fight my own fight. No, you can't. I guess we should start doing something, right? Let's see some hustle. Yeah! This fall, forget super. That was close, rat. Be careful. Oh, I'm as careful as I... Ignore incredible. I can fit through there. You wanna know why? Why? Because I'm little. It's all about... Fantastic. You really are fantastic. I try. Fantastic Mr. Fox. What's this lightning bolt? This fence might be electric. Well, well I just hope it doesn't mean thunder, because I have a phobia of that. <laughs> 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 
So this film was written by Wes Anderson and Noah Baumbach and premiered at the London Film Festival on October 14th, 2009 on a, made on a budget of $40 million at a box office return of $46.5 million. Alex, would you mind giving us a synopsis of what this film is all about? Yes, of course. Well, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox follows the title character, Mr. Fox, played by George Clooney. And he is a, a fox who likes living the fox life. <laughs> he, he, um, all he wants to do is go around killing chickens, squabs, just living the high life like that. When he finds out that his, um, his wife... Mrs. Fox, played by Meryl Streep, is pregnant. He has to um, kind of retreat into a life of uh, domesticity, um, which he isn't um, very happy with. Now, uh, move ahead two years in human years, but 12 years in Fox years, um, and they have a a kind of grown-up son, and um, Mr. Fox decides that he wants wants to live in a, a better house than they live in, and they move to a tree, which happens to be across from um, three farms owned by Boggis, Bunce, and Bean. And this gives Mr. Fox the taste for for his um, his previous life, <laughs> and um, he decides to to plan uh, a series of heists, and uh, it, it goes goes from there. Amazing, amazing. That is that, that is a perfect uh, synopsis for this film, Alex. Um, when would have when would you have first seen it? What would have been your introduction to this film? See, I, so I was trying to think about this, and because I in two thousand and nine, I would have been I think twelve. Um, so I'm not sure whether I would have seen this in the cinema mm-hmm. or whether it was something that I would have got from Blockbuster when it came out on dvd i would probably say the latter i think i think yeah like i I kind of been like thinking about this quite a lot as well and i think this might have been my first wes anderson i would have seen at the cinema like because i'm i would have been uh trying to think back uh what 2009 i would have been 18 19 years old so like kind of i don't know it feels like a weird one to be my first wes anderson. but i remember being really into it and even like to the fact of um, I worked at a pizza hut at the time and across like the yeah across the way was a McDonald's and I would kind of like go in there and see if I could like just chat them up and get the fantastic Mr Fox Happy Meal toys oh yes and like I I know I've got at least one and I've kind of uh, I've to the point that I've looked on eBay to be like oh can I just buy the rest like is that is that something a 31-year-old man does, is buy Happy Meal toys from 2009? You, you don't even need to justify that one. I'm saying yes, do it, <laughs> get them. Because, yeah, I remember I had the Christopherson one, and it, it was pretty great. It's just like a little figure of him, but it has like a little like workable light on it. And oh. Like, so, yeah, that was really great. And all of them, all I remember all of them being like pretty fantastic, uh, pun intended. Um, so what was your, like, what, had you read the book? Like, was it a book that kind of, yeah, like, um, you grew up on at all? I, um, absolutely used to love Roald Dahl 
books, Roald Dahl stories. I was obsessed with the uh, Tim Burton, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory film. Um, I remember very vividly going to my local theatre to watch a production of George's Marvelous Medicine. Uh, and uh, a play that I went, I think it was the first play I'd ever been to, <laughs> and it got to the it got to the halfway point, and I said, "Oh, that was good," and got up and started to leave. <laughs> <laughs> and my grandma was like, "No, there's still there's more left." I was like, "Oh, okay, that's good." Um, but yeah, uh, I I'm sure I must have read Fantastic Mr. Fox, or at least been read it in in school at some point. I think. Um, so I was aware of the story, mm-hmm. um, but I'm not sure where that would have met with me watching the film. Were, were you aware that, what, like, yeah, you were 12, like, were, were you yes. aware of Wes Anderson at the time? Like, uh... This is the thing, isn't it? Like, when you're 12 years old, I, I don't remember much from when I was 12 years old, because I have a memory like a sieve, but... Um, when you're going in to watch a film like that, you don't go, oh, I'm going watching that because it's directed by Wes Anderson mm-hmm. and it's got George Clooney and Meryl Streep in it. You go, oh, that looks like Wallace and Gromit uh, style of filmmaking and it's cool and, you know, it looks interesting and funny and it's based off a Roald Dahl book. That, that's basically as far as you go with that one. Yes, yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. And like, where, yeah, was... Was stop animation something that kind of spoke to you as a kid? Like what? Or, or like? Or now? Like what? What's your kind of views on stop animation? Yeah. So stop motion animation is potentially one of my favourite mediums of a film. I think that it is absolutely impeccable. The amount of hard work. I mean, hard work goes into any film and making any film. But I think when it comes to the ex- you you kind of step back and think of the extent that the animators and and whatnot of a stop motion animation film go to to make a film in stop motion animation it's just like on a completely different scale and i just re- admire the heck out of that yeah um i also think the there are things that you can do in stop motion animation that you can't do in any other medium um, in terms of storytelling and uh, kind of set pieces and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I just think it's endlessly creative and I just ad- adore the socks off it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, re- I remember that Wallace and Gromit and the Curse of the Were-Rabbit was one of the first films I ever saw in the cinema. Amazing. I love that. So maybe my love of stop motion animation branches from that kind of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I I think if I can try and get back into twelve year old me's brain, I would have looked at a trailer for this and gone, yeah, that's right up my alley. Yeah, like and like kind of looking at Wes Anderson's career now, like kind of retrospectively, do you think that like stop motion animation is a is is a good fit for him like is it kind of does it make sense like having watched his earlier work like fish and chips like <laughs> ants and deck <laughs> like anything that goes well together i feel like wes anderson his style of filmmaking just fits absolutely perfectly into stop motion animation because both his style of filmmaking and stop motion animation have a level of 
kind of finesse and um time put into it and it's all it's all perfect mm-hmm. yeah. like was you know wes anderson's filmmaking is is kind of built up to within an inch of its life in the best way possible and the same can be said for stop motion animation and yeah i just feel like they go together perfectly yeah you can only imagine that there was uh almost like when the opportunity arose for him because I know that there's stop anima- uh, stop motion animation like features briefly in um, the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou and all of the sequences in that, whether it's like the kind of the different fish and stuff like that, is is all a- animated by Henry Selick, somebody who was supposed to be the animation director on this, but I think um, took oh. his time to work on Coraline instead. Um, yes, yeah. yeah. uh, was replaced by. Um, I've got his name right here. Did a Mark, uh, yeah, Mark Gustafsson. So he he took over as animation uh, director. But there is a thing where it's like you can imagine, yeah, Wes Anson being like, "Oh, why haven't I done this? Why didn't I do this from the beginning?" And it's weird to see like his films, his live action films since, kind of feel like they borrow from his world in stop motion animation and it's like kind of they're even more particular they're even more kind of like shoebox dioramas than they ever were before do you know what i mean it's like there is no no room for the actors to kind of go off of their marks it's like boom hit it hit it hit it like we're gonna i'm gonna treat gonna treat actors like they're puppets from now on absolutely and i genuinely believe that is why like the Grand Budapest Hotel and the French Dispatch are two of his best films. Okay. Like there is like like you said that attention to detail and that kind of going well if we treat the making of this film as if it was a stop motion animation then everything is going to look impeccable and it does. Yes. And I mean, you know, lo- some of the set pieces in Grand Budapest Hotel look animated and there is even an anim it's not stop motion animation obviously but there is an animated sequence in the french dispatch yes so he's he's clearly very fond of the form and you know obviously i love dogs and i know he's got a couple of films coming out but i really do hope that he he does go back to it again yeah it's it's crazy that like because of the pandemic and like everything being pushed back and like the french dispatch being pushed back to last year it's like We've kind of gone from waiting a few years between Wes Anderson films. It feels like there was a massive gap, even though it was 2018 to 2021. It felt like a big gap between um, Isle of Dogs and the French Dispatch. It's like, and mm. now we're kind of maybe in the next two years going to get two Wes Anderson films, which is crazy. I think I looked recently and his new, yeah, he's, he's doing a new Dahl adaptation. Um, uh, live action this time will is is in post-production and he's like wrapped on asteroid city as well like it's like yeah. wow like what like it's kind of gone from being yeah like a guy who i don't know it seemed like there was a bit of a gap between his films so like we're getting we're gonna get free in the space of maybe four years which is uh seems absolutely crazy but um talking about this film like yeah but what do you think of like the voice cast 
in this. Let's start with George Clooney and Meryl Streep. What do you think of their their portrayals of Mr. and Mrs. Fox? I think with a character like Mr. Fox, you need somebody that just oozes like charisma. Mm-hmm. And who better than Mr. Charisma himself, George Clooney? I, he's just he's brilliant. He personifies the character without physically personifying the character. Yes. And it, it, yeah. Well, wonderful. I, I think if you watch like uh, yeah, and if you watch some of the behind the scenes stuff, you, you see George Clooney acting out a lot of the, the scenes and they recorded a lot of the um voiceovers like in the British countryside. I think like uh they went to like Roald Dahl's estate and stuff like that and I think like mm. Wes Anson's very inspired by that. He's kind of said Roald Dahl's kind of a hero of his and it's kind of feels like a perfect marriage. But yeah, George Clooney does 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 kind of embody kind of charm and like sophistication to him, especially in this kind of character. It's it's interesting that it's a very British story, but with this kind of very like uh <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like you know, transatlantic all, all the animals from from my recollection of are american right like it kind of yeah but that has to reinforce the stereotype that all british people are evil that's just that's just how it is yeah and and i guess (laughs) it's that thing of like it's a way to um like differentiate animals and humans in a way i guess i guess you can look at it in that in that way or it's like where's anson going well, I've got to have Bill Murray. I've got to have Jason Schwartzman. I might as well just make them all American. Interestingly enough, I'd never thought of that before. I, really, until you just said it, I never realised that the split was literally animals and humans. Like, all the humans are, are English, are played by English actors, at least. Yeah, or just, like, cameos from, like, people who, who know. So, like, even even the animal cast. So, yeah, w- Wally Wolodarski, from from my thing is like it's somebody who's worked a lot on like um Wes Anson's cruise. I think like he's his sound guy a lot of the time. So yeah. like uh he's he's kind of like probably been like, oh yeah, you're you're you'll do great for a voice. And i I I think Bean's son is voiced by director Garth Jennings, who um directed the Sing films and um also did Son of Rambo as well. Like so, yeah. He's kind of and uh, Roman Coppola pops up as well in this. I think he's one of the he plays like the lead contractor when they're doing work on Fox's new tree and stuff like that. Yeah, so yeah. He gets to pepper in all of like his kind of friends and uh, Owen Wilson pops up as as uh, coach the coach. Yeah, the coach for the, the coach. Yeah, stuff like that. Um, what? Yeah, one of my kind of burning questions. We, we'll get back to the cast, but I kind of have to ask this: is is this a kids' film? Because it's it kind of like the, the <laughs> what? Yeah, like I guess we can kind of talk about the themes of this film and what it's kind of talking about. What? Well, yeah, ha, ha, yeah. It's it's interesting. Like you think about what how a kid would receive watching this film, and then how an adult would. And I feel like in terms of, I mean, not to be too like oh children just want to see pretty colors and nice things um that's kind of as far as it goes with that i think um in the fact that 
it looks really good. It's very eye-catching. Um, and at the end of the day, it's just a bunch of um, woodland animals just having a bit of fun, really. <laughs> just yeah. just kind of running around and doing silly things and, and stuff like that, which I feel is is the draw for, for, for kids. But when you're watching it as an adult, it's like this kind of... Uh, th- there's lots of of things put in there that kids just really wouldn't understand and it was always it's always interesting rewatching it as an adult and going and noticing different things like i just watched it recently again obviously for this and one thing that i noticed that i've literally never ever noticed before and i don't know how i hadn't noticed it but maybe just because it just feels so natural potentially is that whenever a character swears they say cuss yes and there's even there's even a great little uh uh moment where you see the town and somebody spray painted cuss on the wall as well yeah, like. <laughs> yeah literally and i get that's something that kids do they, they just won't understand but as an adult that's so funny and so it's like it's very wes anderson isn't it really <laughs> to do something like that um but yeah it's it's just well i feel it's like it's completely multi-layered yeah, and I think like in, in, to talk about the themes of, of of the film. I think like one mm. of the key themes in it is acceptance for who you are in, in like your kind of nature or like yeah who who like because obviously there's a whole kind of thread that constantly throughout the film is Mr. Fox kind of saying I am a wild animal and like he's kind of I don't know like even when he's assembling the team he's figuring out like what is everyone's strength and like who 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 can do what and stuff like that and he has that conversation with ash as well and his kind of struggle throughout it is is not feeling accepted for who he is he's like a kind of uh a quote-unquote like weird kid like he, he wants mm. to dress like a superhero he kind of wants to be accepted as a, a good sportsman and stuff like that and then there's yeah there's the conversation him and mr fox have where he's like oh did I ever tell you about the time that I found out we were going to have you and how, like, I wouldn't change you for anything in the world? And it's that thing of accepting who you are and kind of accepting others for who they are as well. And obviously, like, there's the whole push and pull that, I guess, Ash has this chip on his shoulder that maybe his cousin Christopherson is, like, the child that his father would rather have had. Like, and. Mm. It's it's weird, isn't it? But it's a, and it almost plays to that, like Studio Ghibli style of filmmaking, where it's like, we're not going to talk down to kids. We're going to kind of just, yeah, just make a film that deals with, not just adult themes, but like humanistic themes. Like, uh, I'm sure no matter how old you are, you kind of have these feelings of like, oh, I don't know, like am I an outsider or am I different? I know, I very much know like from a young age, I kind of had feelings of feeling like, am I different from all of the other kids? I don't really like football. Like I'm kind of, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a bit weird. Like my music tastes kind of differ from a lot of people and stuff like that. So I think, yeah. And I think, I don't know, I think tw- like 12, 13 year olds would probably Really, I don't know. I don't. I, I, Absolutely no. I, I completely I, agree. Yeah, yeah. It, it could probably hit it, them. Like, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think, as much as I said before about how you know kids just want to watch something that's pretty and 
you know, mm-hmm. it's just there's a bit of fun. I think a lot of films, especially these days, there are a lot of of children's films that really underestimate the intelligence of younger people. Um, but this film, I don't feel like it does. Yes, and I know that like might be I might be misremembering this, but I remember like Mark Commode having like an issue with the film being like it's kind of like how films a lot of the time in animation and I think this is more insulting for children is they do that whole thing where it's like now here's a joke for the adults do you know what I mean like wink wink like oh, it's a double entendre or it's kind of like uh, I guess the Shrek movies can sometimes be a bit guilty of that or just a lot yeah. of kind of major studio animation just does a whole thing of like let's throw in a reference to the Godfather or Apocalypse Now that like is going to go completely over the kids heads and like it's very much playing to the adult audience. Whereas this, I don't think, I don't think does it. And I know that, yeah, Mark Commode's kind of issue was it, the whole film is kind of geared towards the adults. And it is like that thing of, oh, the kids can just appreciate that, that animation. But I think, I don't know. I, 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 I would like to believe I've like, I've, I've got a three-year-old son who, who, who very much does enjoy it on that kind of surface level but i would like to think as he gets older like the themes and the kind of messaging of it will kind of start to penetrate and he'll enjoy it on those levels as well and i i like to think, yeah yeah I, yeah definitely one 100 i mean you, you know the things you're saying about acceptance and uh you know thinking you're different and how the film obviously the lesson of the film is that being different there's no problem with being different. Like if you're different, that's just how you are. That's that, that is. And, and I feel like to kind of go against what Mark Kermode says, which, you know, I, I love Mark Kermode, mm-hmm. but I can disagree with him in, in, in lots of different um, circumstances. Uh, that being human is obviously, and, and that kind of idea that maybe, you aren't fitting in as much as you thought you might is a very universal experience and anybody can relate to that. I mean, maybe, (laughs) maybe the other themes about um, capitalism being bad um, probably would go over the younger audience's heads, but yes, (laughs) um, I think, yeah, on like a human level and the, the kind of more emotive themes of this film, definitely. And I guess it will teach like kids a, a, a respect for nature and animals and stuff like that, that we can live harmoniously. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be like this. Do you know what I mean? It shouldn't, you, you shouldn't and, want to go out and like shoot off a fox's tail to wear it as yeah. a necktie. <laughs> a respect for nature and a disrespect for evil British CEOs who care for nothing but money. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, let's, should we talk about, yeah, let's, but when we're on the, as, as we're kind of, circling back to the cast let's let's talk about those those evil uh company owners. Yes. so boggis bunsen bean um franklin bean here played by michael gambon um and then uh robin uh holston as walter boggis and hugo guinness who i think would go on to co-write um the grand budapest hotel with uh wes anderson as nathan bunce uh what do you think of their three 
portrayals and that like, especially michael gambon he seems to really get like the chance to shine in this with his voice yeah i mean michael gambon's brilliant uh-huh. and it, the thing is like that was pretty much 2009 was what the height i mean spoilers if you care about harry potter and you haven't seen it but that i think it was more or less just after the half-blood prince right yes so he'd come off just being like one of the most lovable good characters of all time basically um and then going into something like this which is just the complete opposite um is obviously a pretty hard task but i suppose the task made easier by the fact that you don't see his face yes specifically his face um but yeah i think he does a brilliant job um very very evil very conniving and uh yeah he he basically plays nigel farage doesn't he like... yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think to an extent, yeah, that, yeah, definitely. Like every time I watch it now, I'm just like, that's nice. That that's that's fucking yeah, that's nasty, Nigel Farage, right there. It's like, I mean, even if it's not Nigel Farage, I I feel like Franklin Bean would be a UKIP voter, one hundred percent. Yeah, it's like, yeah, and I guess that, yeah, that uh, they they're very much probably can look at this film as like a, a yeah his acceptance for yeah i think it plays on many different levels in in regards to like you can look at that british stereotype yeah that kind of subsect of british kind of uh middle class like people who don't have that acceptance that ukip voter like there's strands of that throughout this film as well and it's kind of personified by franklin bean and his kind of like ah. Oh, they're encroaching on our land kind of like attitude he has like yeah yeah 100%. and i mean they they specifically uh frame the animals at one point as refugees as well in um uh badger's flint mine yes the the, the word refugees is literally used so yeah it, there is definitely something there for sure amazing amazing so talking yeah talk about the animals um Let's talk about some of the cast uh, with that. Like, who are some of the standouts for you? We're obviously save a, uh, a little niche to, to really dive into Jason Schwartzman, but who are some of the kind of other oh. other uh, uh, cast who stand out to you? Well, I mean, as soon as you come to the scene in the uh, the, the dam, the you, you know that's Bill Murray through and through. Um, but you know, Bill Murray's just Bill Murray and everything, so. Yes. <laughs> But I would have to say the standout is Wallace Wolodarski as Kylie. Kylie is and will always be my favourite character in this film. I just <laughs> absolutely love the bits off of him. It's so good. He's just impeccable. It's really, really good stuff. Yeah, just plays this, I don't know, like swept along for the ride, isn't he? He's kind of Literally, like... because when you meet the character, he's literally contracted by the the estate agents to fix people's sinks and stuff and, and he's basically a plumber <laughs> and, and then like 10 minutes later he's planning a heist with with uh, mr fox and um yeah he he's just like he's just up for it he's up for the crack that's all it is yeah that that, that I, I i do love him and like his kind of i don't know deadpan delivery has for everything or the kind of He's ne- he never quite gets what's going on, whether it's like when they're with the electric fence, he's like, well, yeah. I hope it's not thunder because, uh, 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 yeah, I've, I've got a phobia of thunder. 
What, yeah. what about Eric Chase Anderson as Christopherson, who is obviously Wes Anderson's brother? <laughs> yes, I, I do quite like Christopherson. Um, a very, like you said, I think it's, um, he's a good character because it's, it's that comparison between him, him and Ash and kind of how he is essentially perfect at everything. And, um, he's got, it's a very clean voice, I think. Yes. I think that's the the my uh, my best way of describing it. Yeah, it's very kind of matter of fact, like, and I think it suits yeah. the character really well, isn't it? Because like, yeah, completely. Christopher, uh, for for lack of a better, he's got his shit together, and he's kind of like he is the yeah. kind of prototypical like kid, and I, I love the kind of eccentricities he has that he's like really into meditation and stuff like that, and he's just like ultra polite and like. There's that great scene of him and Ash like discussing where he's gonna sleep. Ash is kind of <laughs> full of rage, and he's like, "I don't, I don't care. Just, just, just get down somewhere." And you get that like uh, penetration of their kind of like anim- well, his animosity towards him when they start playing with the train track, which just felt like a kind of way of Wes Anderson being like, "Wouldn't it be great to just have uh, a little animated train all of a sudden?" <laughs> <laughs> that is I, when I think back to that scene. That's such a beautiful scene because. You know, Ash is really insecure about essentially the prodigal son has walked through the door. Um, uh, he's just done like this in, insane ten foot dive off a tree branch mm-hmm. and left n- nothing but a little bit of a splash. Uh, and he's being forced to bunk with him in in his room, and he kind of gets all angry. Um, and then obviously the moment he hears Christopherson start crying, he's like, right, okay. So even though you know he's like a bit angry and a bit annoyed with the fact that he has to put up with Christopherson being there, he still has that kind of that loving side where he's like, right, okay, I can tell that he's upset. I'm going to go and play with my train track and he can, you know, take part or, or watch, which, I, yeah, it's such a lovely scene. Yeah, and there's a, there's a there's a sweetness to Christopherson that always throughout, despite all the shit that he gets from Ash, kind of always yeah. got his back whether it's like the bully at school and stuff like that or like just throughout he's kind of always yeah always looking out for him and it's kind of i, don't, I think i think their relationship is a kind of key one to this plot and something mm-hmm. that i don't know like yeah i haven't I haven't read the book in years I, i'm not sure if that is something that kind of features throughout it i know that this story in the book ends once they've like, st- yeah, there is no kind of flooding of the Flint mine and stuff like that. It kind of, or, or anything past that is kind of fabrication for the film. Um, yeah. So in regard, yeah, the, what are the kind of scenes that stick out to you and kind of like, what do you think of the the visuals? I guess it's it's hard to kind of talk about the really put into words, like how kind of, beautiful this film is but kind of yeah what what sequences do you like whether it's like just stuff that's animated or, or scenes and the way they're played out what stands out to you alex um am i allowed to say all of it <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um feels like cop out but... <laughs> no yeah, yeah yeah um the i i think the ones that come to mind the most just the whole sequence where they're kind of stealing from the from the farms mm. i think is is really good um and i love the the inclusion of you know when they're climbing up the fence and you see you see the skeletons 
when the, the the defense is electrocuting them. I think that's really brilliant. Um, but I, I think from this watch, the one thing that the one scene that really stuck in my mind is when Mr. Fox and um, the rat fight in the sewers. Oh, love it. Um, and obviously, you know, it it's darkness, and then it flashes, and they're in a position, and it flashes again, and they're in a different position, and it flash. And I just think like. In terms of the, the animation, that was probably one of the more simple sequences to shoot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because once they've got them in the position they needed to, that's it. You just take that's that's a picture and it's done. Yes. But it just looks so incredible. And you genuinely believe that when that when it goes dark, they are fumbling about and fighting each other. Yeah, and it's it, it, I guess it's really utilizing the medium to like do something interesting with it. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. something that you wouldn't be able to, I don't know. I guess we do see moments like that in something that kind of springs to mind is like the Batman where it's like kind of stuff in the darkness. And then you kind of get those flashes like through gunfire or something like that. It kind of yeah. like re- is kind of reminiscent to that, but yeah, it feels like here it's, uh, Where's Anderson, the animation department, really kind of utilizing the, the the medium of stop motion animation to kind of give us something really visually interesting and fun? Yeah, and I think um, one another bit that springs to mind is in terms of just like sheer amount of effort that I think it probably would have taken to animate the bit is when um, when they're in Bean's uh, trailer. And they f- they just find out that the animals have stolen everything from them, mm. and he just absolutely rips the trailer. He like yeah. flips the table <laughs> yeah. and just rips the trailer to shreds. Um, and I just think like how much effort that would have taken, and and not just that, but how seamless it all looks. Mm-hmm. Like it's just incredible to think about. Well, yeah, Tristan Oliver, the uh, cinematographer of this, kind of said, like, I'll read a quote from him, like what he said about, like, uh, working with Wes Anderson when it came to the animation. Um, He said, I I think Wes doesn't understand what you can do. He often wants us to do what you can't do and the length of the time of the process it takes. Uh, I think he, uh, I don't think he quite comprehends that and how difficult it is to change something once you've started takes a big amount of someone's time to change a very little thing. Um, I think he doesn't understand that an animator is a performer, an animator is an actor, and this is a secret to the animation. You direct your animator. You do not direct the puppet because the puppet is an inanimate object. You direct an animator as if you're directly directing an actor, and they will give you the performance. So we'll get a note back from Wes saying, that arm movement is wrong but that arm movement is part of the fluid uh but that arm movement is part of the fluid performance and that has really quite difficult for the animators and it's it's interesting i think there's there's word that um <laughs> a lot of the time Wes anderson would direct this cuz yeah the the animation part of this was done at Fremile studios in uh just out yeah it, in england and he directed this film a lot via email, like in the States or Paris, I believe he lives. So like yeah. would, yeah, he, it kind of feels like a, a different way to, to, to direct a film, right? It's kind of like just 
see what they've done and then kind of email them kind of or he would send them a lot of stuff of him acting out like how he wanted it to look and stuff like that yeah that is that's wild really directed by email maybe maybe more directors need to take that <laughs> no, um but yeah i feel like i suppose it makes sense because it's not something that you can just if you're there all, the entire time mm-hmm. th- that's like two years isn't it <laughs> or however long it takes which is a, a hell of a long time um but yeah i i feel like again that seems very wes anderson yeah because i know that production on this started um i was saying that yeah i think it only took a year, a year maybe to make because production of the the shoot started well i guess the the voices would have been done beforehand but the actual like animation started on the 6th of june 2008 and for this to then been released by october 2009 feels like a especially in the world of um like stop motion animation feel, feels pretty quick mm. right yeah i i thought it might have taken a bit longer than that i suppose when you hear these days like things like um like that Leica have made like you know uh kubo and the two strings and a missing link where in interviews they're saying oh yeah this two minute scene yeah that took six months to animate mm-hmm. yeah maybe i would have thought that it would have taken longer but i don't i don't know i th- i think when you factor in the kind of like i guess it's still part of the production like getting all because i guess you would get all the voices first Mm. and then move on to like animating it but then the kind of pre-production like all the animal fur in this is real animal fur so like getting the puppets right would have taken i've guessed yeah years like i think the rights for this were originally bought in like 2004 so i imagine they probably would have started production i guess like 2005 2006 on this like without kind of yeah so that's kind of yeah fascinating that like there's all this work that goes into it before they start to start to animate it um in regards to kind of scenes i one one thing i i particularly love on this kind of rewatch is that conversation between uh, Mr. and Mrs. Fox uh, in front of the kind of like waterfall and like just the way that the water's done in this yeah. film and like just the little touches like with being smoking and the way that they do smoke with like cotton wool and stuff like that and just all, all of the kind of little details and, and yeah, just, I don't know, like... That, that reminds me, now you mentioned the waterfall, I, I'm going to try and find this tweet. Yeah, so when I watched it last year, mm-hmm. around this time last year, actually, um, and I think it was the first time I'd watched it in quite a while, um, I literally used the picture that I posted with the tweet is the picture of Mr. Fox standing with the waterfall and just saying how exquisite I thought it was. It is. It is. It's just, it's just beautiful. Like, and just the way, I think, like, the way they would do the water is just, like, bits of plastic and stuff like that. It's just, like, and the the, the only time I think they use CG in this is when they're they're washed, like, through the tunnels to the flint mine. Like, that's the only time, like, they kind of use 
CG to kind of create the water for that, but like everything else and like on yeah on the special features, especially on like the Criterion release of this, you kind of get all the tests that they did with the fire and the the water and kind of how they created it. It's just it's just magnificent. It's kind of like you you could talk for hours and really like dive into like the intricacies of this film like if you i think your mind starts to break like when you think there's like autumnal trees and like leaves falling and like for for that to for for them to animate that as well it just feels mind-boggling right just like the kind of all the detail that goes into making a film like this yeah i I remember when i was younger i used to try and kind of uh do do some kind of stop motion animation with lego Mm -hmm. um and just like doing it and not moving the lego piece off the ground was stressful enough so just everything like floating and flying and you know when the characters jump and all that kind of it's just like it's so insane to think about yeah because I'm not sure how they do it, but I think they have these kind of weird, like they must they must kind of CGI them out or something like that. But they have these weird, like arm things that the puppets sit yeah. on and stuff like that that they can kind it, of like make them move. And then obviously they have puppets that like um, different scales depending on the scene as well. Like they they'll have like a kind of yeah slightly bigger one for certain scenes, smaller puppets. They it's kind of insane like the kind of the details they have to go that go to 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 make something like this and then also realizing that they took 125,000 separate pictures yes it's <laughs> it is incomprehensible really yeah it's and especially like is that thing like um it very much shows you what what kind of filmmaking is and i think like uh, yeah, and like especially stop and stop motion animation, it is that thing that it's just photo. It's just tons and tons and tons of photos, and like the fact that you can, I don't know, like obviously without, yeah, and and it's something. I think there's something charming about stop motion animation that anyone can do it, especially now with like the advent of of like phones we have at home and stuff like that. It would be yeah. very rudimentary what you can do at home. Like yeah, you can do stuff with Lego, but even that, like you see, kind of fan-made videos that people make with lego at home and stuff like that. and it's just like wow that's amazing do you know what i mean it's absolutely mind-boggling yeah i, I completely i i just like going back to us talking about it as a medium it just it truly is one of the the greatest things uh, ever mm-hmm. i think yes. and i i just i hats off to anybody who works in stop motion animation mm-hmm. um and i thank you for all <laughs> of the joy that you've brought me over the years whether it be wallace and gromit or any Leica film or fantastic mr fox or isle of dogs or just any anything in the medium well, because i i genuinely don't think i've seen a bad stop motion animation film mm-hmm. and it's exciting we're living in a time when one of the kind of the greats of stop motion animations coming back with Wendell and Wild, uh, the new Henry Selick film that I think yes. releases on um, 
Netflix in October. And pre previous guest of the podcast, David Trumbull, little shout out for him, was a part of the story team for that. So like designed the storyboards and kind of yeah, had story beats and I think like got to design how some of that film looked. So like ah oh. It it looks brilliant. Yeah. I, I can't wait for it. It's, it's fantastic so um i guess one person we have to talk about in this and we kind of alluded to him throughout of course is jason swartzman how do you think uh, what do you think of his performance of ash and how he captures this kind of bratty teenage boy in this film oh he's brilliant he is he is really brilliant considering that it's however many years after rushmore when he literally <laughs> does play a bratty child um yeah I really, really like it. I remember when having first watched this film, mm -hmm. not really liking Ash as a character because of his brattiness and his um, kind of, oh, how how can you be so mean to Christopherson? And oh, why, blah, blah, blah. But as I've got on older and watched it more times, I realize how relatable the character actually is. Um, and yeah. Jason Schwartzman just does a and a really great job of of bringing that together and um uh, yeah and yeah I think as you get older you start to realize as well that it's the way he's acting is out of his own insecurities right it's not it's not like he's a he's an out and out villain he's just well because he's yeah. not he's just he's just a confused teenager who kind of is literally a kid yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah I think I think I think this is as voice roles go like i think he's kind of perfectly cast like in this he kind of and there is that thing that he has that weight behind him of roles that he's done before like with like a max fisher and stuff like that you'd buy into him and i think jason schwartzman even in the way he looks he perpetually looks like it he, like even even now you see him with a beard and stuff like that he looks like a teenage boy still like he's just, <laughs> something about him <laughs> either way yeah he kind of he, he's always looked like a know yeah like a teenager in his dad's clothes <laughs> <laughs> yeah literally yeah i yeah he he is just brilliant in it i think Ama yeah. amazing so, so yeah as we start to, to wrap this up i guess one of the points uh, that's here on my notes is the music in this film i guess um whether it's the andre Desplat soundtrack or the kind of needle drops like is what what kind of moments stand out for you in the soundtrack for this film i mean um the fantastic mr fox score has possibly one of the most iconic um pieces of film score ever made mm -hmm. um let me see if i can find the name of it very quickly and i i will get it i do know what it's called <laughs> i think it might be the is it mr fox in the fields potentially this one <laughs> There it is. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> um, that went viral on TikTok during lockdown, I think, at some <laughs> point. Um, but yeah, it's just so... It fits so well. It's Just the entire score is as whimsical as it needs to be, I think. Um, and that's just a, a testament to Alexandre Desplat and his... Uh, his talent and i would say he probably lies in top five composers of all time for me mm. and again it, this, this is interesting because this is the first time that wes anderson and andre de splat worked together is kind of before this 
Mark Mothersbaugh was kind of his go-to guy and it kind of seems like he's been usurped and Andre Desplat has been like his guy ever since. Like, and I think he captures the 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 kind of I don't know the the whimsy of this film perfectly with his kind of instrumentation choices. Whether it is these kind of like I don't know, everything's kind of plinky plonky and jaunty, and it's it, it fits the tone of the Wes Anderson world perfectly. And I think yeah, it really. It really amplifies this film, and it kind of—I don't know—like that—that one in particular, that 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 piece of score, it kind of has this kind of like floaty walking through the meadow. Sorry, my throat just made a really weird noise there. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> what I needed to—I right. needed to address that just in case people think there's a frog. <laughs> no, that was my throat. Uh, <laughs> um, what about the needle drops? Is yeah. there any? Yeah, is there any kind of needle drops that stand out to you? Obviously, Wes Anderson um, is kind of known I'm for his big. To think which ones there are um one second I, 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 i'm a big fan and it's kind of obligatory in wes anderson films that there's a rolling stones uh needle drop yes. street fighting man um I, I i love that one and um is it Here Comes My Baby that, like, they dance to at the end? Is that, is that, I'm not sure if that's what it's called or, I oh, know, I think it's called Let Her Dance, perhaps? This? Yeah, that's, yeah. I love that. It's kind of Wes Anderson going back to just like, oh yeah, I'm just still going to use, like, uh, like, British Invasion, like, pop rock tracks from the 70s still even though like the 60s and 70s like i i've got to do that even if it's in a even if it's in this kind of uh kids film i didn't realize how much beach boys was in there yes there's some lovely beach boys needle drops there's the yeah old man river is really great and what's the other track it is uh, i i get around plays I think for a for a, for a moment. Yes, yeah, and there's a lot of like there's a lot of like kind of great stuff, and I, I guess one one thing we have to shout out is that amazingly eerie kind of child's choir Boggis Bunsen ah. bean theme, like which I think is <laughs> yes. great, and the way that that is kind of becomes a motif for those characters in Andre de Splat's score as well. That kind of like the melody of that kind of. Uh, I don't know, almost works as like the Imperial March for whenever they're yeah, on the screen. Yeah, <laughs> and I love the way that it's kind of imposed over the the kind of final showdown mm-hmm. um, when they're escape when the animal, when Mr. Fox and um, the rest of them are escaping on the motorbike and the, they are defeated. Yes, yes. Uh, well, well, I kind of want to talk about the ending to this because one of the things I find like... Uh, <laughs> quite funny is that like for for apparently no reason and i'm I'm not sure like they have that encounter with the wolf i like it but i i every time i watch it i'm like why 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 are they like why are they doing this i try i try to think what it means every time i watch the film and i don't i can't quite pinpoint um what it means maybe beyond freedom i suppose yeah and i don't yeah i guess 
I do think it's very funny how he tries to communicate him and he says something about, ah, clearly he doesn't understand Latin. Um, <laughs> I thought that was very funny. Um, yeah. And yeah, I guess there is things. Of, and I love the fact that it's a, like, I don't know, it's a, it's a film that, yeah, would, would, would have taken so long to make and it's still Wes Anderson. Like, oh, we got to have this weird, like, like a fancy moment where they interact with a wolf like for for kind yeah. of uh, like <laughs> and it feels like is that mr fox overcoming this fear that he has of of wolves yeah. like <laughs> I, I think i was going to say yeah i think if i was to to think about it for more than a moment the fact that he brings up kind of halfway through the film that he has a fear of wolves and him then at the end interacting with it and not having no issue is yeah. probably something to do with him being content with how things have turned out and how things are and and how he is within himself that's great well, so what do you think of the way that this film kind of wraps up with them now living in the sewers and finding a a super <laughs> a supermarket at the end yeah very good i feel like um i, I love the idea that uh, they kind of turn the sewers into a, a real estate gig, mm-hmm. um, at kind of offering animals different spaces in in the in the sewers, and then also, you know, get getting to see Boggis Bunsen being defeated mm-hmm. is is a, is a great moment. Um, but then for that final kicker to be the fact that the supermarket they find is the is one that they own. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> just brilliant. And that they're all just kind of waltzing around and, and taking everything. And uh, Kylie has that massive trolley full of, full of stuff. Yeah. And Fox gives that like great, great little speech. He gives these great speeches. Where yeah. He's like, um, he kind of closes it with like to, to our survival. And it is that like, I don't know, the, the family are together and, I love the dancing in it. I love like, like that is a thing where it's like, <laughs> like there, there's that great moment where they're kind of burrowing into the different Bogus Bunsen Bean, uh, like yes, places, and you just have the like all the characters <laughs> dancing in there, and I love that the film kind of ends on them like it's kind of like a celebratory dance whenever they get like their their score of food. <laughs> Yeah, I, that is a really, really cool bit. Um, and then the moment at the end where they're all just, yeah, it, it's it's nice. It's good. Nice. Well, before we, yeah, before we uh, wrap up talking about Fantastic Mr. Fox and get on to some closing questions, Alex, is there anything else of the film that we've missed that you would like to bring to the audience's attention? Um, yeah, one more thing that I wanted to mention, and I think this goes back to kind of, I feel like this is something that Wes Anderson probably requested. It's like a very Wes Anderson uh, brain type of thing, um, is the the little moments where, uh, f- uh, at the beginning, for example, when Mr. Fox says that Mrs. Fox is glowing, and then there's a literal light shining mm-hmm. um, but below her chin, and then at, at the end, when that comes together and he says, we're glowing, and... It's both of them. I I really like that. Yeah. That it's not it's a nice little detail. Yeah, it's really great. I love I love I love those. Yeah, there's so many. Like this this film is, I don't know. Like if you haven't watched it in a while, it's an hour and twenty seven minutes long. Like so, you have got no excuse. You can watch it, watch it twice, and it's still shorter than some films out there. Like not not to disparage other films, but like short running time is always an absolute pleasure. Uh, a winner. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I guarantee as well, 
if you haven't seen this in a while, there will be something that you will notice that you've never noticed before. 100%. Absolutely. I think it's a film that bears multiple viewings and there's, um, yeah, I'm kind of always excited to, as my son gets older, kind of watching how he appreciates it on different levels and kind of um, things he picks up on. Like, I remember I watched it with him, I don't know, six months ago or so. And afterwards, um, he was trying to do the, he was trying to do that. And it was like, oh, nice. you're, you're an absolute little legend, mate. And another reason why Kylie is a legend is um, when he does his little motif thing at the end mm-hmm. and they're both kind of looking at him a bit awkwardly like, okay. Yeah. Is that, is, oh, you, is that your thing? Is yeah, yeah, is, that, is, that, is, that, is, that, is that is that your trademark? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah I'll, I'll give it to you. Amazing. Well. Um, one of the things we like to do on this podcast, Alex, is, is there any Coppola connections within this film? So is there anyone who's worked in this film, whether in front of or behind the camera, um, who's worked with the Coppola family elsewhere? Did you manage to find any connections? Well, I think the obvious one being Bill Murray. Um, I don't, has Wes Anderson worked with anyone other than Bill Murray and Jason Schwartzman that is also connected to the family. So potentially. Roman Coppola um, features a lot on the kind of writing team for his films and obviously provides a yeah. voice within this film. Um, but actors who have worked with um, the other members of the Coppola family who are in this film. So George Clooney is in Free Kings, which uh, also stars Spike Jones at the time he was married to Sophia Coppola. And Meryl Streep plays Susan Orlean opposite Nicolas Cage in Adaptation, which is directed by Spike Jones, and um, is the queen in The Ant Bully, which also Nicolas Cage provides a voice for. And there's tons of kind of uh, Wes Anderson regulars that pop up in a lot of films that Jason Schwartzman is in or have. But I've I've covered that when I've covered other Wes Anderson films, so I'm not going to bore the listeners with that now. <laughs> you can listen back to those episodes to get all of those connections. So, Alex, let's score this film. And the way we do that here on this podcast is I always like to ask my guests, what would be the perfect wine pairing for this film? Okay, so I'd, I tried to see if there was um, any kind of high-end apple-flavoured wine, but I realised that having apple in wine would completely defeat the object of wine being wine. Um, so I think we, we may have to cheat a little bit, if that's okay. It, it isn't wine. It is a, a nice, cold, straight-from-the-bottle uh, Henry Weston's apple cider. Oh, lovely, lovely. And... Uh... Peel, peel back the curtain for the listeners we are recording this currently on a scorchingly hot day and that would be very much welcomed right now yeah i mean i'll put it this way there's only one film i would turn my computer on in a heat wave for and that is fantastic mr fox thank you very much <laughs> uh, so i must ask you in the spirit of um the characters invading a supermarket uh, is this a bottom shelf middle shelf or top shelf wine aka is the film any good yeah it's top top shelf i mean it's it's beyond top shelf oh, lovely lovely you've got to get that little step stool out you got to 
you got to speak to speak no. to a member of staff. To... <laughs> Not even a step stool. You know the big ladder in ah. Smith's Toy Superstore. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, amazing. I've I've got to agree with you. I think this is kind of a uh, a high watermark. It's a turning point in Wes Anderson's career. I think it's an important it's an important film, and it's kind of I don't know. As I said, it it bears repeat viewings it's kind of there's always stuff that you pick up on i think yeah it's definitely top shelf no I, I don't know and it, i think it was yeah it was critically kind of praised and but i think just i don't know the, the the box office it made i don't think it was a commercial hit as maybe they expected it to be but it's definitely uh stayed within the memory exactly yes yeah. so, uh, as we said it's got a criterion release like uh yeah, it's 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 gonna it's gonna it's gonna stand the test of time. Uh, amazing. So based on this film alone, and obviously Jason Schwartzman's involvement, are the Coppolas the greatest film family of all time, Alex? Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Another notch. Another notch. They they they're gonna they're gonna yeah. Uh, amazing. So let me ask you a couple of questions before I let you go out into the world and um, forage for squabs and cider um the first of which being which coppola family member would you keep but in doing so you get rid of the entire filmographies of the rest of the family um do you know what in keeping with the theme i'm going to have to go with jason schwartzman lovely stuff lovely stuff uh bye bye sophia Bye bye. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Bye I'm bye, sorry. Nick. That's fine. That's fine. I uh, I, res- I, res- I respect your honesty. So many there's people who come on this podcast and talk about what it would do to the landscape of film cinema, but that felt like an answer from the heart, Alex. And I've got a I've, I've I always always respect I, always respect that. I just couldn't say goodbye to Fantastic Mr. Fox. I I just don't think I could. Lovely, lovely, and I love that it's this. This film is is the reason that you would keep Jason Schwartzman. That's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So this is possibly the most important question on this podcast, and that is, what does Bill Murray say to Scarlett Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation? Uh, It's a bit bloody warm, isn't it? (laughs) Perfect. So, Alex, where can people (laughs) find you and all the podcasts that you do? Where can people keep up to date with all of that? Best thing to do is follow me on Twitter at Presenter Alex. Um, I'll always put uh, things on there with with everything that I'm doing. Um, but you can also follow uh, my podcast Twitter um, at Jumpcast underscore um, there and at Anna Perniverse for the other one. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Alex, for coming and making some Copa connections with me. Thank you very much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And there we have it, guys. 49 episodes down in this Copa Connections journey. Next week will be 50, and I'll be joined by Ian Schultz to talk about uh, Big Eyes, uh, a film that has very little Jason Schwartzman, but it's still a Coppola connection. Um, as for this episode, a massive thank you once again to Alex 
coming and joining me. If you're not listening to his podcast, you should be. You should be listening to the Annapurnaverse. Uh, they're just about to gear up for their third and final season for the time being, as they kind of mop up all of the films they have left. So definitely go over there and listen to that. You have a bevy of stuff to listen to that's already in the vault, as it were. Uh, and a massive thank you to all of you guys for listening. This is always a bloody uh, pleasure to do these episodes. And um, yeah, thanks for listening. I love you. You're, you're great. Uh, if you enjoyed this conversation, or no, not even if you enjoyed it, if uh, you felt that we missed anything out in this conversation, we could have probably talked for ages. It's, it's hard to really talk about animation in a I don't know, in a detailed way in, a, in this short amount of time. There's so much to go through. There's the voice cast, there's the animation itself, there's the stylings of it, there's especially stop motion, there's just the sheer wonder of how they could even put this together. Uh, so, uh, yeah, if, if you want to add your thoughts to the conversation, please don't hesitate to get in touch on all the socials. So that is Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd, and TikTok, all at Caged In Pod, or drop me an email. Get get to know this email because it's going to come in handy. It's coming in. Well, you would have heard something at the beginning of this episode, actually. It's handy for us. So it's cagedinpod at gmail.com. Drop me an email. Let me know. Let me know what you think. Let me let me know how you are. Yeah, yeah. Maybe ask how I am. Who knows? Let's let's start up a little conversation. If you if you enjoy this podcast, uh, yeah, let's have a little chit chat. <laughs> so um, again, I've said this. It's been my third time saying this now, but if you enjoyed this podcast or any other episode of the podcast, please don't hesitate to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Acast. No, not Acast. That doesn't even exist anymore. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you listen to this right now, leave that five-star rating review and please don't hesitate to tell me what you think Scarlett Johansson says to Bill Murray at the end of Lost in Translation, or the other way around. What does Bill Murray say to Scully Hansen? Bloody hell, I've said this, what, 48 times before this, and I'm still getting it wrong. What is wrong with me? Um, so yeah, with all of that out of the way, if you'd like to support this podcast financially, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash caged in pod, where you can get a bevy of fun stuff. At the moment, I'm doing the Caged in Book Club, where you can listen to me, read out the novelization of the ghost rider um film uh yeah it's a lot of fun um i'll hopefully have some guests on that at some point and i'll just read them a chapter out of context and we'll just discuss it it's almost like an annotated audio book of kind of um comments on it basically um my my dad wrote a porno but looking at uh movie novelizations of nicholas cage films so Come join, come join the family over on Patreon. It's uh, it's a fun old time, um, and you can sign up for as little as like a pound, a dollar a month, and get the get the get the book club episodes. Yeah, there's there's other fun stuff going on there for a little bit more, like two pound fifty a month. You can get access to Movie Brat Bros, which is currently on a hiatus. And I'm just trying to juggle all the stuff I'm doing with the podcast, as well as starting up a new podcast um, called getting to foe you which uh, is in the kind of early gestation period but you can follow that on all the socials so that is defoe you pod on um instagram and um twitter so do check that out that's with me and daryl edge uh, the host of the cage rage podcast and former guest here on this very here podcast 
so yeah there's all of that good stuff there's uh, more podcasts in the works there's all that stuff over on patreon which again is patreon.com forward slash caged in pod so i guess as ever i have been petros patsilavis your handy guide through the crazy world of the coppola family tree remember to keep it caged in and i'll catch you next time Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Droop Town Limery, Maine, Franchise, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.